May I have, the, I have envelope, the envelope, please? please. And the splendid, splendid blow goes to... jury the splendid bohemians have returned and we have returned with another episode at your request and the request of the critics who have declared our splendid boho which is our program where we award a character actor of note our boho award for having enhanced a motion picture making it greater than it was Bill's selection last time, Laird Krieger and I Wake Up Screaming, got rave reviews, and therefore, we continue on, my friend. We continue on, and we're going to raise the stakes this time because we're going not just with a great character actor, but one of the greatest motion pictures ever made. Uh, no argument. No argument is, on that. There really cannot be an, uh, an argument on that, can there? So in order to uh in order to introduce this uh I would like to uh declare the following just bear with me for one moment because uh as Bill will attest to I've had a rough weekend your pal Rich Buckland I'm Rich Buckland by the way Bill Mesnick is uh my partner in crime and uh the yeah, other Rich has had a rough week but he's a he is uh he is a formidable soldier a formidable soldier. That's so so sweet of you, Bill. You haven't said anything like that since high school. Okay, so let me, if I can, geez, I had this marked and everything, and okay, I want you to, I want you to pay strict attention. It's just, well, as long as I'm an outlaw anyways, maybe I can do something. Maybe I can... Just find out something. Just scrounge around and maybe find out what it is that's wrong. And see if there ain't something can be done about it. I thought it all out clear. My, I can't. I don't know enough. How am I going to know about you, Tommy? Why, they could kill you and I'd never know. They could hurt you. How am I going to know? Well, maybe it's like Casey says. Fella ain't got a soul of his own, just a little piece of a big soul. The one big soul that belongs to everybody. Then... Then what, Tom? Then it don't matter. I'll be all around in the dark. I'll be everywhere, wherever you can look. Wherever there's a fight so hungry people can eat, I'll be there. Wherever there's a cop beating up a guy, I'll be there. I'll be in the way guys yell when they're mad. I'll be in the way kids laugh when they're hungry and they know supper's ready. And when the people are eating the stuff they raise and living in the houses they build. I'll be there, too. Yes, Hank, 
That's a, I, you know, I kept waiting for that scene because I knew that speech. I just watched the movie last week. This is uh, Rich's uh, suggestion, and it's a brilliant suggestion. And, of course, the actor is John Carradine. In The Grapes of Wrath. Playing Casey, the, uh, the ex-preacher who becomes the radicalized agitator. This is a very important part. And in keeping with our theme of a character actor without whom the movie would not be as great, although this is a pretty hard movie to not be great, but Carradine makes it greater. Carradine makes it great. Director John Ford makes it great, who Mr. Carradine had worked uh, with two times before in The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance and Stagecoach, which is the seminal Western, uh, the Western that began the making of the modern Western. Carradine um, was 34 years old. He was born in 1906 and lived till 1988. At 34, Rich and I were kind of discussing that this might have been the peak, although his career went decades and decades after. Um but Casey, I believe, is the voice of Steinbeck, or one of the voices of Steinbeck in this novel. He's comic, he's sad, he's the spiritual heart of the piece, and um, he educates um, um, Tom Joad. I ask myself, what is this here called Holy Spirit? Maybe that's love. Why, I love everybody so much, I'm fit to bust sometimes. So, maybe there ain't no sin, there ain't no virtue. It's just what people does. Some things folks do is nice, and some ain't so nice. And that's all any man's got a right to say. Of course, I'll say a grace. If somebody sets out the food, but my heart ain't in it. He educates him by through his life and through his death. So to give you a little background, the film opens with Tom Joad, portrayed by Henry Fonda, being released from prison. And he's hitchhiking his way back to his parents' farm in Oklahoma. Uh, this is where he meets the itinerant Jim Casey who's sitting under a tree by the side of the road, and Tom remembers Casey as a preacher who baptized him. Yeah. Uh, but now Casey has lost his faith. He has lost his he, he says, I lost the spirit. He said, there ain't no sin, ain't no virtue. It's just what people does. And they begin this journey together with Ma and Pa Jode and Tom and Jim Casey. And... Uh, the trip along Highway 66 is, of course, one of those horrible journeys you hear about during the uh, Dust Bowl days. Now, this film is made in 1940. Steinbeck yes. wrote the novel in 1939, got the Pulitzer Prize, and uh, I truly cannot recall a motion picture that is and book so iconic that the film is able to capture all of the nuances that it desires to capture. It's an amazing feat. 
Yeah, Fox uh, snagged the book rights, and they got Nunnally Johnson to do the screenplay, uh, John Ford, of course. Greg Tolan, the great cinematographer, does the, the camera work. But it's interesting, watching this film, Rich, uh, <laughs> you know, 1940 is, I consider that modern times, you know. I agree. Um, yeah. And that car, you see them driving along these basically modern highways in in the Beverly Hillbillies truck that's yeah. breaking down. <laughs> yeah. And you think they're in a time out of sync. Yeah, yeah. The whole thing seems almost ancient, but modern at the same time. And it's the same thing that Bobby Kennedy encountered when he went to Appalachia. He had no idea that people who were white lived in that kind of poverty in what appeared to be a time that had been forgotten. And so imagine the conditions of African-Americans and that became, that became the calling card and the social conscience. But it's amazing that some of the individuals that we have responded to and looked up to were so protected from the world, even in the 60s. So yeah. you can imagine what the 40s must have looked like to the poverty-stricken and those who encountered the Dust Bowl and a severe unemployment and hunger. And that's how Jim Casey loses his life. Jim Casey attends a meeting where they are attempting to uh, d declare the, uh, the, the notions of why workers need to strike and uh, right to unionize to unionize the and, farm workers in California who are being exploited. That's right, and that of course becomes thematic again with Chavez in the '60s, and uh, everything goes around and around, doesn't it? It's like we don't learn from anything, and in this day and age, the pushback is even worse. It appears. Well, yeah, it's it's fascinating because, you know, I kept thinking this is a m Marxist manifesto. Absolutely. And in in America, for that to become as popular as it was, um, and of course, people were coming out of the Depression. something going on out there in the West, and I'd like to try and learn what it is, if you feel you got the room. Um, but we, you know, the backlash that has persisted since that time against the idea of anything, quote-unquote, socialist or red or, you know, liberal now, the dirty word, um, Back then, that for Steinbeck to write this book and for it to be a multi-million dollar, you know, thing that entered everyone's consciousness. I think it opened the eyes to, it opened many people's eyes 
to a suggestion and it's it's due and that's the power of, of great filmmaking Henry Fonda is Tom Joad John Carradine is Jim Casey and you just go through this cast and there is not one actor or actress who is misplaced the great John uh, J- Jane Darwell is uh, Jane Darwell is who mom. I found out that Hank Fonda insisted on putting her in this film after having worked with her in the Oxbow incident mm-hmm. and oh. she of course you know when we were discussing the boho it could be to her because she's brilliant as Ma Joad but um she already was acknowledged with an Academy Award. Yes, and she's more of a uh, constant participant in the film. Yeah, from more of a lead, I would say. Yeah, from beginning to end. Charlie Grapewin as uh, Grandpa Joad, um, fabulously cast. O.Z. Whitehead as Al Joad. John Quaylen as Graves. Eddie Quillen as Connie Rivers. It's an extraordinary Yeah, everybody, every performance is just keyed perfectly. And let us not forget the recently departed Daryl Hickman as Winfield Joad. Mm -hmm. So, uh, extraordinary motion picture, and uh, if you haven't seen it in a while, we highly recommend it. Let's talk a little about uh, Richmond Reed Carradine, one of the great character actors on screen and a great Shakespearean actor. His stage work. Yes, and he comes from upper class. Mm -hmm. His father was a correspondent for the Associated Press. His mother, Dr. Genevieve Winifred Richmond, was a surgeon. So this is a man who, this is a man who comes from uh, uh, educated stock, so to speak. Absolutely. And had the was bitten by the uh, acting bug, apparently. Uh, I don't know how early because his first film appearance, I believe, is credited in a film called Tolerable David in 1930. Well, it says here that he he was bitten by the Shakespeare bug because he saw Merchant of Venice when he was 11 years old. Oh, okay. And then he worked for the New Orleans Shakespeare Company. For years, um, but he was also studied sculpture, and he he was apprenticed to Daniel Christian French, the the man who created the Lincoln Memorial, and he worked for Cecil B. DeMille as a set designer briefly. Yes, briefly. Yes, worked with got to work with the great DeMille. And that's uh-huh. kind of how he got into Hollywood. And he was not just his Shakespearean skills are are written and spoken about uh, to great applause, but he was also doing, uh, he did a 15-month run of a funny thing happened on the way to the Forum, the Zero Mostel uh, Broadway uh, Spectacular. He toured he was, in yeah, Road He was Com- one of the workingest actors of all time. Oh, absolutely. He has 351 Film and television credits, can one you, of the can highest you, numbers of everyone. Right? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? But if we go back and we look at the later years, uh, he was highly involved in the horror film, low-budget horror film explosion. 
yeah. making horror films from the 40s uh, onwards. And that's what he utilized to finance his classical theater company. Right. And uh, he, <laughs> he sang the theme song to one film in which he appeared, uh, which was called Red Zone Cuba. And speaking of song, of course, he gave birth to two sons who became popular actors, Keith and Robert Carradine. And Keith Carradine actually had a hit record from the film Nashville. Let's not forget David. And, and um, forgive me, and David. So you've got the trio there. Kung Fu, baby. Kung Fu. And, of course, Kill Bill. Oh, yes. Yeah, Kill Bill. He's great in Kill Bill, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's almost it, it, it's interesting because when I think of the Carradine brothers, I what Tarantino had done with David's career almost separated him from the other two brothers. Interesting. I never think of I'm Easy of Keith Carradine singing that song, or of Robert in Nerds, because John, because uh, David's work was so extraordinary as uh, perpetuated by Quentin Tarantino. Um, so TV. So if you were not familiar with John Carradine prior, you sure became familiar with him in the 50s and 60s. He was on Twilight Zone. He was in every Western that you could possibly imagine. There was not a role that John Carradine could not play. But as we were talking about, after playing Jim Casey in one of the most beautiful films of all time, uh, you know, he, 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 I won't say he struggled because he worked, but he, this is a man who should have been starring in major motion pictures. I mean, he claims that he tested for Dracula and then played the role in House of Frankenstein and House of Dracula. Um, and these were, would we say, schlock? Well, it depends on your viewpoint of motion pictures of that period, if you're Gilbert Gottfried, then you certainly admire the work. Oh, and of course. You, you look at it in a different perspective. But as I was saying to you the other day, when I, wa I was watching the Sterling Hayden Festival, and I saw Johnny Guitar, and there's Carradine as, you know, this minor character, and um, he, he ends up getting shot. He has a poignant kind of death scene, but he's basically in the background. Well, the one thing that I believe was a, a, a moral imperative for John Carradine was to never be stereotyped. I think that he enjoyed the vast quantity, albeit often not quality, of what he participated in. But he was a working actor. Well, he's married four times, so maybe that had something to do with it. He, <laughs> he had a lot of mouths to feed. Yeah. Uh, and he also had uh, this propensity to want to uh, adhere to the craft. And he was no prima donna. This was, this was a man that most people had identified as a gentleman, uh, Although I do believe he began to part of his issues with taking roles uh, that were some considered beneath him had to do with a little too much boozing. Mm. 
And well, he had that one of the greatest voices uh, of all time. And he maintained that. And there's a one of my favorite television programs is uh, The Rifleman with Chuck Connors and Johnny Crawford. And uh, there's a great episode with John Carradine as a mind reader uh, <laughs> in 1959. And you can just imagine these are the kind of of char- characterizations, the wizardry that he was able to um, evolve at the at the drop of a hat. He was he was a magnificent. Uh, you know, I I say this often, and it is the uh, it is the quote that is just too quoted. But they don't create great dramatists like this any longer it would seem because the opportunities aren't who has an opportunity to make 351 motion pictures really i mean where is the industry that creates the ability to be able to do that let alone hire a man 351 times and not be tired of no he was he's always you always smile when you see him up here absolutely Absolutely. I could not. And he he does a brilliant turn uh, with Jim Casey because he's sad and funny at the same time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And has the the perfect appearance, the mannerisms, the uh, he articulates exactly as you would imagine Jim Casey to articulate if you'd only read the book. And that what's that's what fascinates me about the work Steinbeck's work is translated so perfectly to the screen and the characters. And I really have to afford a, a grand uh, suggestion that Henry Fonda, if we look at the body of work from The Grapes of Wrath through, a, through Hitchcock's The Wrong Man, through Twelve Angry Men, he always had something to say, and he meant it. He always appeared to mean it. He was Tom Joad. He was Tom Joad. And I can't help but believe that when Bruce Springsteen wrote The Ghost of Tom Joad, that's the image I see. I see that. He was thinking of Hank Fonda? Of Hank Fonda, yeah. I mean, that's, that's Tom Joad. And when he gives that final... That... <laughs> That final speech at the end, uh, it's one of the greatest uh, pieces of writing in, yeah. any, in any novel for any reason, whether it be political, Shakespearean, or whatever. Everybody is a little piece of one big soul. Everybody's a piece of one big soul. I'm reminded of... Uh, I was a fugitive from a chain gang with Paul Muni, and mm-hmm. the final words in Paul Muni recites as he has become a convict on the run, uh, and his girlfriend, they meet for the last time in the dark in the woods somewhere in a remote area, and she says, what will you do? And he says, I'll steal. <laughs> There's a there's a guy that we should discuss one day, uh, Paul Muni. Um, For another day, yes. Yes, my grandfather saw him in the Yiddish theater and uh, 
characterized him as the greatest actor that he had ever seen. Uh, had yeah, ever many seen, people in that day felt that way. Felt that way about Paul Muni. So, The Grapes of Wrath is indeed uh, considered one of the greatest films of, of all time. And in 1989, it was one of the first 25 films selected by the Library of Congress for preservation in the U.S. National Film Registry for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. 20 days work. Oh, boy. I'll be glad to get my hands on some cotton. That's the kind of picking I understand. Maybe. Maybe 20 days work and maybe no days work. We ain't got it till we get it. What's the matter, Ma? Getting scared? Scared? Huh. I ain't never gonna be scared no more. I was, though. For a while, it looked as though we was beat. Good and beat. Looked like we didn't have nobody in the whole wide world but enemies, like nobody was friendly no more. Made me feel kind of bad and scared, too, like we was lost and nobody cared. You're the one that keeps us going, Ma. I ain't no good no more, and I know it. Seems like I spend all my time these days thinking how it used to be, thinking of home. I ain't never going to see it no more. Well, Pa, a woman can change better than a man. A man lives sort of, well, in jerks. Baby's born or somebody dies and that's a jerk. He gets a farm or loses it and, and that's a jerk. With a woman, it's all in one flow like a stream. Little eddies and waterfalls, but the river, it goes right on. The woman looks at it that way. Well, maybe. We sure taking a beating. I know. <laughs> That's what makes us tough. Rich fellas come up and they die, and their kids ain't no good and they die out. But we keep a coming. We're the people that live. They can't wipe us out, they can't lick us. We'll go on forever, Pa, because we're the people. deserved. Enough said. So we applaud everyone who was uh, affiliated with uh, the origins, Mr. Steinbeck, to the magnificent film production that uh, lives to this day. So baby, this is a wrap after we do The Wrath. But The Wrath is actually quite uh, quite a brilliant um, portrait uh, it is ten. I want to thank you for suggesting it because uh, I loved every minute of it. And I want to thank you because there is no one else that could uh, that I could possibly do this with who would have a complete understanding of what it is that. Uh, As Tom Joad says of Jim Casey, he was like a lantern. He helped me see things clear. That's kind of like what you do with me, Bill. Oh, well, I'm humbled. Amen, baby. And I love you, and we thank you so much for joining us for this episode of And the Splendid Boho Goes To. And, of course, it goes to the great John Carradine. 
please tune in to Captain Billy's Magic 8-Ball on Dig This. The captain takes one of his 8-tracks and he uh, delivers some narrative insight. And uh, this weekend, I think you're going to be hearing some uh, Steely Dan. Ooh, nice. It's going to be a groove, baby. It's going to be a groove. And uh, we have an interesting uh, episode of Put on a Stack of 45s to present to you that I think you will find uh, quite interesting. So keep, uh, keep on keeping on. Keep on listening. We thank you for your support. And uh, Bill Mesnick in California, Rich Buckland in uh, Florida, the Splendid Bohemians. And we will see you quite soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.